Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This show is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration. I'm all about the culture of food and living the best life. And on this program, we celebrate food and its ability to feed your soul. So if you love delicious dishes, if you're all about trends and travel, health and the environment, wine, mixology, and more... Well, then this show is for you. And I like to say that whether you love to cook or love to eat or both, we should definitely be friends and you're bound to find something you'll want to eat or want to make this hour. I hope you'll visit chefjamie.com where I'm always serving up seconds and that you'll become a friend and a fan on social at Chef Jamie Gwen. But you can take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned. Let me set the table for you. Coming up, we have two gentlemen who are paving the way for rock star chefs across the country to make cities culinary meccas. Yes, San Antonio, Texas is considered one of the greatest food cities in this country. And you're going to hear from two chefs who are igniting the food scene with their passion. And you don't want to mix, miss it, rather. <laughs> it's Tex-Mex, which is where I was going, to tamales, to tacos, to hamachi crudo, Latin inspiration, and more. And I can't wait to dish with them. Also coming up, you know the name Molly Gilbert. A decade ago, her sheet pan suppers cookbook debuted and took the world by storm. The industry says she revolutionized one pan cooking and her new hit is out. In the follow-up to Sheet Pan Suppers and One and Done, Molly has taken on sweet and savory recipes using just a sheet pan. And oh, the recipes are fabulous. Molly Gilbert is sitting down to dish in her first ever cookbook for desserts. Everything made on a sheet pan. So good. But first, I like to make you the best cook you know. And with the holidays quickly approaching and the fact that we're all gearing up again to celebrate together... I thought we should maybe go back to the basics, but dig a little deeper. And it's a question I get a lot. So this is a summary on salt. I get a lot of questions about salt. If you think of it at its most basic, if you took a ripe, sweet, lovely homegrown tomato and you sprinkled it with salt, it's a hundred times better than it was already brilliant to start. And so that's why in culinary school, dating way back for me, and today when great cooks are trained in great kitchens to become grand chefs, salt and pepper is fundamental. And it should be in your kitchen too, by the way. So here's the lowdown. Chemically, there is little difference between kitchen salts. All of them are at least 97.5% sodium chloride. I love food science, but there are significant differences in the processing of the many salts that are offered today. 
So we'll start with sea salt, often the choice of many bakers, right? It's harvested from evaporated seawater and it receives little or no processing, leaving intact the minerals from the water it came from. Now it's the mineral flavor that changes the dynamic of the salt, both the color and the flavor and the grain. You can find sea salt in fine grain or larger crystals. And I happen to think it's delicious. It tends to be a little saltier than kosher salt. Uh, and when it's dissolved though in liquid, uh, it dissipates in flavor. That is sea salt a little bit more than other salts. Did you know? Now, kosher salt takes its name from its use in the koshering process. It does not contain any preservatives, and it can be derived from either seawater or underground sources. Now, it keeps its flavor when dissolved, and I think it is the best everyday cooking salt. I use kosher salt for multiple reasons, and you've heard me say it over the years. I like to feel how much salt I'm adding. I like to add levels of flavor to a dish, and it is my go-to. Now, irregular grains like flake salt add a very delightful crunch, in my opinion, and a hint of briny flavor when you use them at the last minute. And you want to determine how salty your palate is, of course, to choose the salt that's best to cook with in your kitchen. And I know it sounds odd and I've said it before, but I do suggest you do a salt tasting where you set out small teeny bowls of different salts and you buy a good French bread and you use good quality olive oil and you dip and taste and dip and taste. Now, there are a bevy of salts to choose from. Like you could go with uh, sel gris, which is gray sea salt an all-natural sea salt from Brittany, France. Uh, the grains themselves, the crystals, they're wet-looking. They have this briny, sweet, lovely flavor. I prefer fleur de sel for baking. It's a hand-harvested sea salt that is collected from the top layer of salt before it sinks to the bottom of the salt pans. And it has a floral finish to it because there is lavender growing out around the bodies of water where this salt comes from. And it's a hard crystal. And I think it's just delicate and delicious. Now, I love Hawaiian or red clay salt for long, slow braised dishes. Has a really intense flavor, but a really silky finish. Black salt, also called violet, um, has a, a big sulfur aroma and very earthy, if that's your palate preference. And then there is the smoked salt category. And that happens to be one of my favorite. I love anything smoked. So whether it's uh, alder wood or pecan wood, there's just something brilliant about smoked salt. And that leads me a to, to a tutorial on brining because Turkey Day is just around the corner and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about brining in conjunction with salt, right? Because we're all starting to plan for the ultimate Thanksgiving right about now. When it comes to brining, the goal is to improve tenderness and flavor, right? It's usually an overnight soak in a salt water solution and it gives poultry and pork and a few other things, in fact, a chance to absorb moisture and seasoning. And I recommend that you brine your chickens and your turkeys and your pork 
almost no matter what method of cooking you're using, if you're roasting or grilling or sauteing or even deep frying. And there's a basic solution for a brine. It's a quarter cup of kosher salt to four cups of water. A quarter cup of kosher salt to four cups of water. And you can multiply it proportionally, of course. And then you can add all the best aromatics like brown sugar or peppercorns and bay leaves and sprigs of fresh thyme or rosemary or sage or oregano. I like a splash of molasses. I love a scraped vanilla bean for pork added to the brine. You can substitute for some of the water, maybe apple cider. You can add in honey or hot sauce or chilies. The opportunities are endless, but I do love a brine. Never more than 24 hours though. And for smaller cuts, you can go about three hours or so and still get the same benefit. You can also increase the salt in a brine to speed up the process. The saltier the brine, the shorter the time. Could be chicken breasts, could be a whole chicken, could be a whole turkey, could be a pork tenderloin, right? But then there is something called a dry brine. And rather than a wet brine, which takes up a lot of room in the fridge when you have a holiday turkey, this is essentially a salt cure. And going back to my salt tutorial, what I love is that a salt cure adds moisture, but you also get gorgeous, crispy skin because you haven't wet that protein down. Another great benefit is that you can actually salt cure, also known as dry brine, a frozen piece of poultry or pork, and it absorbs as the pores open during the thawing process. Brilliant, right? With all humility, I didn't invent the concept. I'm just passing it along. Now, with that said, if you would like the recipe for the best dry brined and roasted holiday turkey, I will gladly share it. So please send me an email, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. And please stay tuned. Don't touch your dial. Because when we come back, the highly anticipated sweets book, all streamlined on a sheet pan, is here. Molly Gilbert, you and me, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate. In her follow-up to sheet pan suppers and one pan and done, Molly Gilbert took on sweet and savory recipes baked all in one sheet pan. Think pecan caramel shortbread cookies. Oh, yes. And triple citrus poke cake. In a time crunch, those are perfect. How about an orange olive oil challah and a pumpkin tiramisu roll that are ready to impress? 
I'm in. The industry is saying that Molly has revolutionized one pan cooking, and I agree. You see, a decade ago, Molly's sheet pan suppers debuted and took the world by storm, birthing one of the biggest food trends to get dinner on the table quickly, efficiently, and deliciously. And she graced this show back then, and I am ever delighted that she has returned. In 2017, One and Done released, highlighting one-pot meals, and now the highly anticipated Sweets book, all streamlined on a sheet pan, is here. Entitled Sheet Pan Sweets, Simple Streamlined Dessert Recipes Written by Molly Gilbert, it's all innovative sheet pan desserts in a first-ever cookbook. And all you need is a baking pan. A sheet pan, that is. Molly Gilbert is here. And welcome, uh, new mama. Congratulations, Molly. And then you birthed a new book all at the same time. I think that counts as twins, my friend. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and so delighted to have you back. Um, The book is all a buzz. It's beautiful. And I can tell you, I didn't get to page seven before I was already marking everything I couldn't wait to talk with you about and bake. But I'd like to start at the beginning because you did create a revolution. And I think somewhat unknowingly, you would say, from uh, reading through your introduction. But there is still today, 10 years later, something beautiful about a baking pan, a sheet pan. And you say it's threefold. So if you would, give us the the highlights on why your whole world is sheet pan centric. (laughs) I, l- I love a sheet pan, yeah. I've been <laughs> writing about them, baking with them for about over 10 years now. You're right. Um, but, yeah, sheet pans are just, they're magical to me. You know, they are, um, they're really big. So with that comes a really big surface area. Yes. Um, and so things cook pretty quickly on a sheet pan. And if you're, if you're cooking, you get, like, those really roasty, toasty, caramelized flavors in your vegetables or meat or whatever. And if you're baking, which we are in this book, um, your cakes or whatever you're baking will cook relatively quickly um, all in one layer in a sheet pan, and then they'll cool nice and quickly. Um, so you don't have to worry about, you know, if you're baking in a loaf pan, things take forever to both cook and cool, but a sheet pan sort of avoids all of that, and you can make um, sheet cakes. You can cut your sheet cake to make a stacked or layered cake. You can do slab pies, obviously cookies and bar cookies. It's just, it's ripe for all sorts of sweets. And you do some really beautiful, innovative things. And then you do some really simple stuff that I think, well, gosh, why have I been laboring over, as you say, scooping 24 blueberry muffins when it's mm-hmm. so much more fun to cut blueberry muffins from a sheet pan and feel like a muffin and coffee cake got together? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's totally the point. And another thing about cooking and baking on a sheet pan is that you can feed a crowd. So yes. like, you know, the holidays are coming up. If you're having people over staying at your house, um, you don't have to worry about like waking up early and scooping 24 muffins, just bake, um, you know, my sheet pan muffin cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone can cut off little slices as they want. Yeah, I love that. And then you can go back for seconds and thirds. And then when no one's looking, you can sneak back to the kitchen when you fill your coffee, right? And just take... No one will know. uh, No one will know. Take a little edge. Are you um, often asked about the difference or if there is a difference between a sheet pan and a cookie sheet? Yes, I am. And there is 
sometimes a difference. Well, there is a difference. Um, I think a cookie sheet is sometimes um, also called a jelly roll pan, and those are just slightly smaller than a true sheet pan, and they don't always have that lip around the edge. So a sheet pan that we're talking about measures 18 by 13 inches, and it has that one-inch little lip around the edge, which will um, is pretty key for a lot of the recipes in this book for, like, you know, catching batter and making sure that you don't get oven spillage. Right. So that's your standard. Order an 18 by 13 or a pack of three and you can do everything. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. And then just give us a little history on the sheet pan because seeing that you have a love affair with it, I, I, I know that you've delved deep into the culinary background. Yeah. So I would love to say that sheet pan supper, the whole idea behind sheet pans is my idea, but of course it was not. Sheet pans have been around forever. Um, and I got the opportunity to write sheet pan suppers way all the way back in 2014. Um, and um, from there, it just sort of grew. I mean, it's it's sort of like stupidly genius, right? right. You can cook a whole <laughs> a whole meal just on a sheet pan. Yes. Um, and I love that they're just they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. It, most people already own a sheet pan, whether it was passed down from someone in their family or it sort of, sort of comes with like a kitchen starter pack, um, odds are people have a sheet pan in their house. And, yes. and if you have one, that means you can turn out really nice meals and some really beautiful desserts too. And we have been using them forever. I mean, I go back to my professional kitchen days, as I'm sure you do. And I remember rolling racks of sheet pans, you know, full-size mm-hmm. sheet pans that we used for everything, not only for storage in the walk-in, but to prep on, to mm-hmm. cook on, to roast on, to cool on, to, I mean, everything. Yep. So from a professional chef standpoint, they've been long used in kitchens. And I think that they've become, as you have made them famous, they've become more well-rounded in our home kitchens, more so today than ever. Yeah, yeah. definitely. All right, let's bake, please. Um, because sweet after sweet, honestly, I, I marked more pages than I have a sweet tooth for, and I have a serious sweet tooth. But as we come into the fall and winter season, I love pears, and I found mm-hmm. your chocolate pear cake first. Yeah, that is in the sheet cake chapter of mm-hmm. the book, and it's just a really simple chocolate cake um, that gets fresh pears grated in to the batter and mm. some melted chocolate as well to get like a really rich chocolatey vibe. Um, and then for, you could eat it just as is. It's like very moist and rich and delicious, but I um, have the recipe for a pear glaze that goes on top. It's just like confectioner sugar and um, pear sauce, which if you can't find, you could use applesauce and that would kind of be a seamless transition there. Mm. Um, and it's just a really simple, but, um, seasonal treat and that's a good one to bookmark I think oh for sure and I was thinking you know pear nectar that you buy the Mm -hmm. the thick rich luscious I wondered if I could keep the pear flavor going and use that with your confectioner sugar I'm sure you could yes Yes. Uh, you may have to up the the sugar a little bit to get that right consistency but yeah okay good See, if you want to easily eat your sweets, Molly Gilbert to the rescue. We're celebrating Sheet Pan Sweets, the new cookbook release of Molly's, and there's more right after this.
we're satiating your sweet tooth. Author Molly Gilbert is here. A decade ago, Molly's sheet pan suppers took the world by storm. And today, her new book, Sheet Pan Sweets, Simple Streamlined Desserts, All from a Sheet Pan, is rocking our worlds again. Uh, pumpkin cake with brown butter frosting. The, the world is pumpkin crazy. We, yeah. all, we all get it. The brown butter frosting, though, puts it over the top. Yeah, it just gives it a little, a little fun spin, and I, I think it, the flavors pair so well. That like autumnal warm spices of the pumpkin cake with the brown butter—it's just can't mm, miss it. Beautiful. I am a brown butter fanatic. Like I believe that most butter should be browned and it should be browned. I yes, agree. and I cool it and then make a brown butter blondies and brown butter chocolate chip cookies because I think it just tastes better that way. And I wonder, do you weave brown butter into much of your baking? Um, I do when, yes, I agree. I think, I think butter should be brown yes. um, if, if the textures of everything can work out. And um, I have a recipe in the book. It's called All the Cereal Treats. Um, and basically it's like Rice Krispie Treats, but you assemble everything on the sheet pan. And um, you start by just plopping your butter on the sheet pan and sticking it in the oven. And I like to keep it in there until it does start to kind of brown um, and then add the marshmallows to the sheet pan so that they can melt Mm. um, and then fold in your whatever cereal you're using. And that way you get sort of a brown butter twist on regular Rice Krispie Treats. Oh, I love that. Okay. My son will be delighted that you just talked about that. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I love it. Uh, So smart. That's one thing, you know, you talk about the beauty of a sheet pan threefold, but there's also, with the recipe you just described, the beauty of only having to wash one pan. Because if you asked Mm -hmm. anyone about their Rice Krispie Treat recipe, they would tell you there's two bowls, two spatulas, one pot, Right? And by the time you're done, the sink is full. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's really and, smart. And, you know, that's not to say a lot of these recipes in this book, you, you, you know, I'll ask you to have a bowl with a whisk and a spatula and um, oftentimes even a mixer. But on the whole, they're super simple, pretty pared down. And that is the idea. Just fewer fuss, fewer mess, less mess. Yeah. Makes life better. Can you make us a mm-hmm. cannoli icebox cake, please? Because I don't think this requires a season or a celebration, in my opinion. If you're making cannoli anything, you just tell me what time. (laughs) I love a cannoli. I I love cannolis. I love them. I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and there's a really large Italian-American population there. So there were cannolis, I feel like, in all the bakeries. Um, Lucky you. Growing up, I just have memories of, like, the big stack of shells. Um, waiting to be filled with that like delicious creamy ricotta mixture Mm. so this icebox cake was sort of a fun play on that and i use graham crackers so you don't you're not actually baking anything it all sort of just sets up in the fridge and gets soft cakey Mm. yummy uh keeping with the season a maple butternut cake i love how you i mean you seem to have a love for zucchini you say that zucchini Mm -hmm. is prized for baking maybe more so than the quick saute and I, I love that this recipe, this cake, has butternut squash in it. So there's a savory side to some of your sweets that I think must add a, a richness and a hardiness and a rusticity that I happen to love. It's why everybody loves chocolate zucchini bread, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just thought it was, a, you know, everyone loves pumpkin, too. Pumpkin is such a seasonal yes. thing. It's everywhere at this time of year. But um, I thought that butternut squash instead of pumpkin, they're so similar. Um, but it's sort of a fun play on the same the same theme. Yeah, I love that. Um, can we talk Clifudi, please? Because I, too, have a Clifudi story. And uh, who doesn't love... I, who doesn't love the texture of a clafouti? Mm, so good. They're like, so in the book, what I have is a cherry almond clafouti squares. Yes. So it's like the giant sheet tray. It's like the biggest clafouti you've ever <laughs> Love it. Um, but it has a crust. Um, it's sort of like a press-in crust. And then on top is the clafouti layer. And it's just a lot of eggs, vanilla, and almond extract to really give it that clafouti flavor. And then mm. you use either fresh or frozen cherries. Um, which you can play around with the fruit if you want to, but I just love the way cherries is. And um, you get the really, like, delicious, luscious texture of a clafouti in a portable little square, and I just, I love it. Yeah, that's perfect. I love the contrast of the crust to the custard in your recipe, mm-hmm. and there's something very fanciful about a clafouti, right? Like, you to say you made clafouti is impressive, mm-hmm. uh, but you've you've squared it down to, to the simplest of forms, but it's still so beautiful and elegant. That's one thing about a a French dessert that can, I think, oftentimes not be duplicated. And that leads us to the galette. This, I think, makes anyone a culinary hero, right? You bring out this big, beautiful, usually fruit-laden pastry filled, and you do it on a sheet pan, so it's just grandiose, and you make a cranberry gingerbread galette, and we will toast you at Thanksgiving, but I am adding your recipe to my menu. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sort of the idea. A lot of these sort of have fancy-sounding names, like a galette or a clafouti, but at the heart of it, you know, a galette's just sort of like a messy, free-form pie, right? Yes. And so I wanted to bring some accessibility to a lot of these recipes that might sound like, oh, no, that's too hard for me. Hmm. Um, I'm staying French. Um, can you talk about a Bostock, please? Yes, definitely. <laughs> That's in the breakfast chapter of my book. Yes. Um, and really all it is, it looks impressive, but it's six slices of like a brioche or a challah or some sort of like eggy enriched bread um, smeared with some jam. And then I made an almond frangipan to go on top, which sounds oh. really fancy. But all that is is like a, you know, gra- ground almonds with a little egg with some sugar um, mixture and that gets baked in the oven with some sliced almonds on top and it looks like something you would find in like a French patisserie somewhere um, but it's so simple and you know you're pulling it out of your home oven and um, it makes such a good breakfast yeah that's a brilliant breakfast or brunch to me you put out a, mm-hmm. a, a lovely salad a, a fruit salad of, or ber- uh, just berries and fresh mint and you serve mm-hmm. your raspberry almond bostock and a, you know, piping pot of coffee or espressos. And I, I would be very happy the to brunch. brunch. Yes, yeah. very, very happy to brunch. And last but not least, the blueberry muffin cake. So we have to dig a little deeper only because I mentioned it. And I do agree. Why would you scoop when you can sheet pan? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all it is is just like a giant coffee cake studded with blueberries with that, you know, sort of, to me, necessary um, crumble on top of everything crumb topping yes 
And your crumb topping is pretty standard. Do you mix and match it? I mean, sometimes, like I have a few shaved almonds left or slivered almonds. I'll, I'll throw things in there to a crumb topping, just thinking, oh, why not? Definitely. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's very adaptable. If you wanted to throw in some oats, you could do that. If, oh, like nice. you mentioned, some nuts. Or if you wanted to play around with some of the seasonings and, like, you know, use a little cardamom instead of cinnamon, you could definitely do that. Mm, how nice. There is not one recipe in sweet, uh, sheet pan sweets that I don't want to make. Um, so kudos to you. Um, I can feel the love. The book is, uh, is fabulous and it's fun and there's a, a whimsy about it. And at the heart of it is really what you revolutionized for all of us. And that is uh, the appreciation of a sheet pan. Sheet Pan Sweets has just released from author Molly Gilbert, and you don't want to miss it. Um, I love that the cookbook, I know this is in the details, Molly, but the rounded edges, I I almost want to go like store it on the countertop on a sheet, like on my stack of sheet pans, right? So just so that it lives, yeah, it lives right there. Exactly. Uh, But congratulations to you. Um, As you say, all the sweets, just one sheet. Uh, really, really well done. So, um, and so all at the same time of having a baby, you're a goddess, really. You are. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Whether you're baking for a celebration or for something to snack on, if you have a sheet pan, this book has just the thing. Uh, Molly's dessert recipes are sure to please every sweet tooth. And I know we all cannot wait to bake. So please check it out. Um, available now on Amazon for pre-order. You'll want to get your copy. What a wonderful thing uh, to give to the uh, baker in your life or the sweet lover in your life as well. This is the next hit from Molly Gilbert entitled Sheet Pan Sweets. And you'll want to follow on social at Molly Dunk in crumb it's n in the middle uh, just like the blog that you know and love dunk and crumble molly please come back with your next hit book um but in the meantime mm-hmm. enjoy that beautiful new baby girl and um we'll celebrate you with our sheet pans for sure thank you so much Jamie. thank you molly come back soon please as the delicious conversation continues we do share the best authors, the best insights, and the best inspiration for delicious dishes and desserts on your table. There's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Please don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you love juicy conversation, well, you don't want to miss this. If you love tasty travel as well, it's time to get going and experience San Antonio. In 2017, San Antonio was designated as a creative city of gastronomy by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. 
becoming only the second U.S. city to land that recognition. Suffice it to say, they take their food seriously. And if you haven't been to the Alamo City lately, well, then you need to see what all the fuss is about and familiarize yourself with the rock star chefs that are making San Antonio a culinary mecca. And I like to keep my finger on the pulse of thriving food cities. So let's meet some chefs, shall we? Two chefs actually at the forefront of San Antonio cuisine, actually celebrating the upcoming Tasting Texas event. It is a three-day long weekend extravaganza of fine food and celebration. And tickets are still available. So you can jump on a plane and, oh yes, indulge. I am delighted to introduce you to two gentlemen who are well-known in the food scene in the U.S. The first is Jason Dady. His restaurant group is comprised of five restaurants, including Trey Trattoria, uh, a restaurant at the San Antonio Museum of Art. He has two brothers, Barbecue Market. He has Range and Jardin. And all of them are a beautiful highlight of Jason's extraordinary talent. And secondly, uh, you need to know Geronimo Lopez. His restaurant has been highly raved about since its opening, in fact. It is uh, called Botica, and Botica is located in San Antonio's historic Pearl Brewery. He has an impressive background in culinary arts spanning the globe, and I am delighted to have both gentlemen join us live. Hello, chefs. Howdy. <laughs> I got a howdy out of a Texan there. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to talk to both of you. Um, we want to dig deep into the San Antonio food scene, but first we need to know what you're serving up at Tasting Texas. So, um, Geronimo, would you please go first, highlight what we can uh, sink our teeth into from Botica? Yeah, we want to show like, a little bit of the Nikkei style that we do. So we're doing a crispy rice nigiri. Ooh. with smoked hamachi, oh. uh, ikura eggs, and wankaina sauce. Oh, gorgeous. Okay, I'll be right there. And Jason, what's on the menu? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Tasting Texas is there's so many different events, and we would kind of have an opportunity to do a lot of different things. Uh, I'll be hosting a, a brunch on the barges uh, on the San Antonio Riverwalk um, and the San Antonio River. So I'm excited kind of doing a champagne and caviar-style brunch it's cool. just a bunch of different noshing type of foods. I kind of call it Napa provisions, you know, <laughs> smoked salmon and pasta salad, maybe some caviar, bagels and locks, and just kind of have a great time floating the river and having a great time. I love that. I love Riverwalk, by the way. That is a fun spot. It's so interesting to me to hear from both of you that your styles um, being very different and very unique in the culinary scene to your own signature dishes are a melting pot in San Antonio. If you would give us both of you, uh, Jason, I'll call on you first, some insight into the San Antonio culinary scene, because it's been growing for quite a while. Like there's been a, a long, good buzz about San Antonio when it comes to, to food and fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think San Antonio has always been uh, an, em an emerging culinary scene with you know, young chefs, up-and-coming chefs, and really, you know, the strength of our, our culinary world is the diversity of it, um, which is, to me is the most exciting. I think the rest of the world is starting to catch up and find out uh, something that we've known 
um, for years, you know, whether you wanted, you know, great Thai food, great Szechuan. You know, we obviously know we have the best Tex-Mex and the best tacos. <laughs> You're going to get that with, you know, no questions asked. But really the great thing uh, about what this city provides is um, – a deep diversity into a lot of different other cultures and cuisines. Visit San Antonio is bringing Tasting Texas Wine and Food Festival to San Antonio coming up at the end of this month, October. Tickets are still available. In partnership with the James Beard Foundation, you just heard from top two top culinary leaders in San Antonio who are paving the way, continuing to make San Antonio, Texas, a culinary mecca. And there is everything from walk-around tastings to intimate dinners to outdoor lunches to hands-on workshops and more. And you want to make sure to see and eat with Geronimo Lopez, the chef-owner of Botica, located in San Antonio's historic Pearl Brewery. And, of course, Jason Davey, his five restaurant empire is a family affair. Please don't miss them both. You can learn more at Botica Pearl, B-O-T-I-K-A Pearl.com. And Jason, give us the best website of your empire to, uh, to put our finger on the pulse of where you are. It's the easy one. It's uh, just... Uh www.jasondady.com. Okay, then we'll go to jasondady.com. It's D-A-D-Y. And if you want to learn more about the Tasting Texas Festival, please go to visitsanantonio.com. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your passion. Once again, I will see you in San Antonio. Appreciate it very much. Look forward to it. Thank you for having us. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of informative, entertaining, and truly scrumptious conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I hope you'll meet me here every weekend so that we can dish on all things delicious. But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for the week. This is my newest bright breakfast idea. I love a bowl, whether it be acai or yogurt parfait, or don't get me wrong, anything with a spoon that's, you know, breakfast centric in the morning is super simple and splendid. But have you ever made a ricotta breakfast bowl? I happen to love ricotta cheese. You can also use fine curd cottage cheese if you like, but layer everything you love instead of yogurt over ricotta, like sliced strawberries and blackberries. You can drizzle it with lemon curd or honey and then sprinkle your granola on top. And oh, it's just so good. I love ricotta cheese and it's a wonderful way to embrace it or use it up. And I'll post my recipe with vivid photos of my ricotta breakfast bowl on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'll also meet you here next weekend when I guarantee there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.